Yeah. <clears throat> it's a little bit too loud. One, two, three. I was filling the radiator with water. Those of you who have ever driven old cars know we need a lot of water. Am I on yet, the machine? Okay, thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning. You know, when we look outside the windows of the church, and I don't mean the building, but the body of Christ, and we see what is happening out there, I think we can faithfully and accurately say it is better in here than it is out there. Amen? That's right. Well, we're in the series, as you know, Summer Jam, Bible Jam. And we're going through a study of the entire Word of God, beginning in Genesis and ending in Revelation chapter 22. And our study is for the purpose of seeing the Bible as a comprehensive whole. Not just seeing the Old Testament is here and the New Testament is here and this is what happened in the Old and that no longer happens but it's all brand new and and things are better here. But a comprehensive Old so that what happens in the Old is continued and completed in the New. So did you get that? What happens in the Old is what? Continued and completed in the New. And so last week, Pastor Evan talked to us about the hopeful future that God has promised and was prophesied in many of the prophets of the Old Testament. What is that future? Back before the New Testament began, the prophets were looking forward to a day that was coming. And so, as they did that, they were looking back to what God began in Genesis and saying that what God began in Genesis continued to be his purpose and plan and its fruition or fulfillment is ahead of us. So they look to the future. And what was that hopeful future? It is the future in which God's people would enjoy the blessing of his rule in his place. I know you've not considered the word blessing and rule in the same context. But that's exactly what it is. It is the blessing of God's leadership, rule, kingship, sovereignty over us, his people in his place. And so that's the future that is anticipated. And that future is to be 
seen and accomplished and come to fruition in what is called the kingdom of God, a term that is not used in the Old Testament. But even though it's not used, you will not find the word kingdom of God in the Old Testament. But what you will find in the Old Testament is God's rule, is God's sovereignty, is God's direction to his people. And so that means he is a king, his people are a kingdom. And you do remember he said a kingdom of priests. And so the future anticipates the establishment and then the growth of a kingdom of God upon the earth, a kingdom in which his people will live together in God's place under the rule of God. That's the great future. And so this future is prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, and I think Evan quoted this last week where the prophet is being given a vision of the future, where he is being allowed to understand and see something in the spirit concerning the accomplishment of God's purpose. And so he says this in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born. How many of us have heard that every year at what time of the year? Christmas, okay. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. Now keep in mind, make sure you get that word, son is given. And the government, what kind of a word is that? That's kingdom terminology. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Whose shoulders? This child who will be a son. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So you see, the Old Testament is looking for a coming kingdom who will be ruled by a divine son, a divine king, if you would. And so this is also the message of the last prophet of the Old Testament. How many of you know, before, don't look in your Bibles, how many, <coughs> how many of you know the last prophet of the Old Testament? If we gave a test right now, how many of you would do okay with that? What's the last prophet of the Old Testament? Malachi. He's the last one, and here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. Quoting again, he's quoting again the Word of God. He's speaking forth the Word that the Spirit of God gives to him to prophesy about something and someone that is on the way. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, who's speaking? The Lord is speaking. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, saith the Lord. So the last message, the last prophetic message of the Old Testament is this. All that I have been doing, all that I have promised, all that I have prophesied, all of my purposes, 
my great plan from the beginning rejected by Adam. All of it, the one who will fulfill it, he is coming. You got it? It's not, I hope he is, I think he's going to, depending on the circumstances, he might. You see, because here is a truth that we need to hear. God always accomplishes his purpose. There is no devil, no combinations of devils, no hell, no demons, no man, no woman, no government, no terrorist, no nothing in all creation that will be able and ever has been able to thwart the word of God's promise. What he says he will do, he will do. Now, we need to get that in our hearts, especially given these days. Malachi says what by the word of the Lord? He is coming. Right, Tony? What? He is coming. He is coming. Great. I'm ready. Great. He's coming. Ta-da. Now, what would you expect if you were reading or hearing Malachi in that church service? You're in the church service, and Malachi stands up. He says, I have the word of the Lord. You know, he's coming. The Lord is coming. The one we've been waiting for and anticipating and talking about and thinking about and all the history that we have in the Bible from the Genesis 1 all the way up. The, the one is coming who will fulfill all of this. Once again, we will be a great nation of God's people. He's coming. Now, what would you think? Right now. Right? He's coming right now. Malachi sits down. They have chicken on the ground. That's an old-time thing of the church. Tomorrow morning, he's not here yet. Well, give him a little while. A week later, well, okay, I, I understand that. Transportation as it is, difficult. Camels can't get any place, you know. <clears throat> I mean, you, you do realize they're not thinking about some kind of a heavenly thing. They're thinking about somebody, hey, hey, somebody's around. He's coming in. 400 years. Now, what kind of a promise is that? Think about it, really. You're in the congregation, and the prophet stands up and speaks by the word of God. He's coming. And in our lifetime, he doesn't come. In the lifetime of our children, he doesn't come. In the lifetime of our grandchildren and grandchildren. 400 years. You know what happens? The promise becomes something to look at in a book to be discussed, but not really to be hoped for anymore. Do we understand that? Amen? What was wrong? Nothing was wrong. Everything was right. Everything was right. You see, because God 
is never too late, nor is he ever too early. He's always on his time. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this. In Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Are you waiting for something from the Lord? Any of us have any needs that we're asking God to help us with? Anybody at all have needs in here and you're asking God? Only about 10 people. That is not bad. <laughs> and what is our biggest issue? God is slow. I mean, come on, let's face it. How many of you would agree with me, God's real slow? Come on, really, seriously. God's slow. As far as our timing is concerned. And so the Lord gave me this three-word sentence or statement. I don't think it's in your notes. I did change some of the arrangement of the notes, especially toward the end, so don't get excited or upset. And you may want to write this down. When things are delayed, write this down. Time tests, T-E-S-T-S, trust. Time tests trust. How are you feeling? Good for you. I'm glad. There's a strain on our trust. 400 years. And the loud noise from heaven is silence. How many of us have ever heard the din of silence? Silence can be deafening. Do you know what I mean? 400 years, nothing. And then suddenly, suddenly, and in the same region there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good noise, the good news of a great joy. For unto you this day has been born in the city of David a son, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And you will find the child wrapped and swaddling clothes. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Behold, I bring you a great news of a great joy. Whose joy? Whose joy? A great joy. Whose joy? The joy of God the Father who has now brought the world and the circumstances and everything to bear so that this moment in history is the perfect timing for his son to be born. It's as if God would say, finally, finally, 
My purpose will be established upon the earth in my people. Can you imagine the celebration in heaven? Because God's plan is now going to be set into humanity and kept perfectly. What a joy. No wonder heaven broke loose. Of course, the question is, could this be the promised divine child who will come to establish the kingdom? He's finally here. Then another delay. 30 years. Man, this delay is killing me. I am ready to get the answer. I am ready to move on. I am ready to have this thing solved. Did you see what was wrong with my statements? I, 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 rather than God, God, God. You see, when I think that way, I am ready and I am this. It's the idolatry of me over God. 30 years. Then we read in Mark's gospel, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water and immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. Remember, a son is given. This is the man who fulfills not only Isaiah 9, but every other prophecy. Here he is. With you I am well pleased. And then you remember the Spirit moved Jesus and led Jesus into the wilderness to confront and overcome all the temptations of the evil one. And then in verse 15 of chapter 1 of Mark, Jesus begins to preach. And listen what he says. The time is fulfilled. This is it. This is it. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Finally, the king is here. Finally, the one who has been prophesied and waited year after year after year after decade after century after thousands of years since Genesis 1, he is here at last. Will God fulfill his purpose in us? Yes. The question is not will he, but how will he do it and when he will do it. So the deeper question in us is not will he, but will I trust him and wait for him with joy and with a restful heart? Isn't that more the question for us who are waiting for things? What must have gone through the hearts and minds of those who were listening to him for the first time? Oh, 
oh my goodness, what he is saying is what the prophets said. You know, we read this quickly. We move through it. We've been waiting for 2,000 years. We know the scriptures. And all of a sudden, there is a man among us who is saying effectively, here I am. I'm the king among my people. And in my presence with you and among you is the kingdom of God that has been prophesied and promised. What went through their hearts and minds? Who is this man? Who is he? Let's identify this man from the pages of the New Testament. Obviously, we're not going to go through all the prophecies because some of that's been done and you've read some of those. But who is this man as identified in the pages of the New Testament? Well, we begin in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 and verse 14. And what does it say? In the beginning was the Word. Now, the logos, the Word, is that spoken Word of God. Do you remember? When is the first time we see the spoken Word of God? Genesis 1, what verse? 3, got it. And God said, that's the Word of God. The one who was in the beginning speaking creation into being, this is the one that John is talking about. In the beginning, the beginning, in the beginning God created, in the beginning, the Word was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made, made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then you come to verse 14. Verse 14 is one of the most incredible verses in the entire Bible. Because in verse 14 of John 1 is gathered up the entire Old Testament. Think about this. Don't think small. Think large. In this one verse is gathered up the entire purpose and work of God as recorded and as occurs in the Old Testament. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here He is. Here He is. The the personification of God himself in humanity and the personification of everything about and for God's purpose as given to us in the Old Testament in one man. That which took thousands of years rather than God took thousands of years to do it. 
that which involved people after people and person after person and activity after activity. We won't go through them all, but all of this, all of this, here it is, all located <clears throat> in one man. Possibly one of the most astounding verses in the entire Bible, John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, that glory as of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. Here he is. You see, this is the one. This is the one in whom and by whom. This is the one in whom and by whom all the prophecies are fulfilled. You remember on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples that had left Jerusalem after the crucifixion, the burial of Jesus, and they were literally walking probably like this, downcast. They were downcast. Why? Because Jesus had died. He was buried. And as far as they knew, it's ended. How would you have felt? You'd been with Jesus for three years. All of your hopes, all of your hopes was set in this man, and he's dead. And then another man appears to be with him, comes up alongside. Hey, can I walk with you? Yeah, come on. What's going on? Well, all these, you haven't heard about these things in Jerusalem? And this man says, what things? See, he didn't say, I don't know what things. He just said, what? What things? They can't believe it. We had hoped, but he's dead. And Jesus then, in Luke 24, 27, and then in verse 44, says this effectively. He opens to them an understanding, beginning with Moses, which means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the prophets and the Psalms, all that was written about him. Remember this verse in 2 Corinthians 1.20, the Apostle Paul says, for all the promises of God, how many? All the promises of God are in Christ, yes and amen. Colossians 2.17 says that Christ is the substance or the fulfillment of all that God is doing. So we have to see who is this man this man is the one in whom God fulfills and completes all of his promises so that those promises of a coming kingdom and its king will no longer be made because they have been kept. The king is here. The king is here. And the kingdom of God is here. What, what scriptures has he fulfilled? He says, I have fulfilled them all. Well, let me just go through a couple very quickly with us. First of all, he is the promised seed of the woman. Remember in Genesis 3.15, Adam has sinned. He's repudiated God's rule over him. Verse 3 of Genesis, the last three words, and 
he ate. The woman was deceived. She didn't get it. But the man knowingly and purposefully looked at his wife, looked at the purpose of God, and said, I choose for my wife because I find something here better than what you promise here, some kind of way. He made, he made the decision based something on that kind of a thing. There was something about for himself that he liked in where Eve was going. He purposely sinned. Therefore, the Bible places all the blame of sin where? On Adam. Both of them were involved. But the Bible says Adam sinned. Doesn't say the woman sinned. Do you, you, now, is deception and falling for that sin? Yeah, but Adam made a purposeful decision to sin in the face of knowing better. Deception means, hey, I got some confusion going here. But one of the promises immediately comes up is that God, you remember, curses. He curses Satan, Adam, I'm sorry, the ground, and places the woman under the curse too. These are the difficulties you're going to have. And when he comes to the enemy, he says this. The woman's seed, you are going to strike the woman's seed on the heel. You're going to inflict a wound. But he is going to crush you as to the head. The head is a place of authority. Oh, you're going to hurt him. He's going to pay a price. And he's going to pay a price in his body. But when you strike him, he will use that strike as the opportunity and the method to crush your head forever. Amen? This is the seed of the woman. This is the one who is here. He is here purposefully to submit himself to the enemies, hurting him on the heel, led by the Holy Spirit for the Father's purpose to be accomplished according to the Father's preordained will so that the enemy's work can be destroyed. So one of my favorite verses is 1 John 3, 8, second part of it. For the Son of God has appeared for this purpose. What? That he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. You see, what we see in this world is an increasing proliferation of the work of the lawless one as his time of bondage, uh, uh, destruction is drawing near. And church, that's what we need to see for what it really is. He is the promised king of the kingdom. Does Jesus ever say, I'm the king? Well, you remember in Matthew 28, 18, what does he say? All the disciples are there. He's about ready to ascend into the heavens. And what does he say to them before he leaves? All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, in a secular sense, who has all the authority in those days? Who? 
the king, the Caesar. This would bring to mind the Caesar. Tiberius was the Caesar at the time. Wow. In fact, he has more authority than Tiberius Caesar, who is the emperor of all the Roman Empire. And as far as we know, that includes the whole world. Of course, they didn't know about China and South America. But wow, he has even more authority than Tiberius. Why do we emphasize this? Because when things begin to happen in our lives that begin to shake, rattle us, we begin to think that those things some way have some level of authority in a believer's life. May I disabuse you of that this morning. Nothing and no one has authority over us except Jesus Christ himself if you are in him. Amen? Amen. There is no way that there is another authority coming into and participating with or competing with or squeezing out the Son of God in our lives. No matter what is happening, no matter how you feel about it, he has all authority and will always have all authority. Can you say amen? amen? He does. We've heard this over and over again, but I need to hear this constantly. This enemy picks on us, Scotty, doesn't he? Does he pick on you? He picks on you. A couple of weeks ago, man, you know, I think, give me a break. The back, what do you call it? Covering for the backup lights on Jean's car broke. The cover. <laughs> she has an Explorer. Do you know how much a cover costs for an Explorer? <laughs> how many of you, what would you think? $425. Now, nobody's making money on that, so don't be excited. Everybody's going broke over these things. <laughs> it's only $40 to put it together. I mean, put it in. Then the air conditioner went out in the back of the house. Then I can't remember, there were two or three other things happening. You know, say it again. Oh, the bathroom upstairs, the toilet overflowed for some reason. And you get like boom, 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 boom. Now look, I have a tendency, I know that you wouldn't know this, but I have a tendency to be excitable. No, I really do. Seriously, I'm really being serious now. Remember what I told you, John Mark. What? Michael, yeah, what did you say? You said John Mark? J.M., I have a tendency to be excitable. I have a tendency to allow things to get under my skin. I have a tendency to complain and gripe. I have a tendency to be impatient. I have a tendency to become flustered, frustrated, and angry. I know that Bill Treby and I are the only two who like this. <laughs> Nancy said, oh, well. And so this started to happen. And so when it happens, 
I am immediately faced with this decision. I'm immediately faced with this decision right off the bat. How am I going to react? What am I going to do with it? Whose glory am I going to manifest? Whom am I going to obey? Whose authority is going to rule over my heart and my mind? And I have to bring myself by the Holy Spirit's leading power to a place to say, and I really mean this literally, Satan, I will not get upset, excited, impatient. I don't care what you're going to do. You cannot outdo the goodness and grace of God's power in me. Mac, I have to fight for it. Somebody said, it's hard. You know why it's hard? Because you're a human being and you're still alive. So if you don't like it being hard, ask God, take me out. It's just too hard for me to be here anymore. Just too hard. I mean, I, I can't even remember John Michael's name. And actually, when I said John Michael, he leaned to his mother. Is that my name? And Linda said, let me look it up. I saw you look it up quickly. You're very fast. We enjoy laughing about this, but isn't it true? Am I the only one who is subject to these kinds of things? See, I can, I can, we can theologize up here all we want, and that's fine. I love theology. Evan would tell you. He orders for me all these books. I love them. Love them. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to this. Will I trust and obey God? Or will I trust and obey Satan? Right, Evan? It comes down to that. It comes down to that. He's the promised land. Land. We saw that today in the Hebrews 10. We are living in God's place now called the kingdom of God. We're in Christ. Listen to this from Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Just as you receive Christ, in other words, you were born again. By faith you receive Christ. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Continue to live what? In him and be rooted up and built, rooted and built up in him. We are no longer looking for a place to live. Donnie, our place is in Christ. He is now our spiritual home. Do you believe it? We're no longer looking for something out there. Oh, when I get to heaven, are you kidding? This is the best place we live right now. We live in Christ. It will be manifested fully then, but we are now in the heavenly realms where Christ is seated. We are in him when? Now. I'm not waiting to get into him, right, Vic? I am either in him or I am not in him. There is no straddling the fence. I've heard people say, oh, back and forth. In and out. Oh, you're crazy. You're either in Christ or out of Christ. There's no such middle ground. You either are saved or you're not saved. 
You either are a child of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, or you are a child of the enemy, condemned to an everlasting damnation. Say, man, man that, that frightens me. It should. And hopefully it'll frighten literally the hell out of you so you will receive Christ as the only remedy. Seriously. He is the promised lamb. John the Baptist is baptizing people and Jesus comes and he sees Jesus. <clears throat> and he points, I think he was pointing, maybe he wasn't. I think he was pointing, okay. And he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lamb. Oh, it conjures up such an immense Revelation. When do we first see the prophecy of a lamb being sacrificed? Where do we first see the prophecy of a lamb being sacrificed? Genesis 3.21. Genesis? I thought it was in Abraham. No. What you see in Abraham chapter 12 and its following is a continuation and an enlargement of what began in Genesis. Remember, the Bible is a continuity, a comprehensive whole. What does Genesis 3.21 say? Anybody know what it says? It's something about what God does with Adam and Eve who are hiding behind the asparagus. Actually, the other day, Gina and I were somewhere, I forgot what it was, and I ate some asparagus for the first time, and they probably put so much stuff on, I couldn't taste it. And so I actually liked it. That's the first time I've had that stuff in my mouth. <laughs> and what did God do? He clothed them with the skin of an animal. What does that mean? Blood was shed. First time. God is saying, humanity, look, had he not clothed Adam and Eve, humanity would have been irrevocably lost. But he saved Adam and Eve from being destroyed immediately by clothing them with the blood of the Lamb. Otherwise, Adam and Eve would have been destroyed and we wouldn't even be here today. It's a picture of the Lamb who was coming. That scarlet thread that travels right through the Old Testament and is fulfilled in the blood of Christ. And you tell me you can't believe the Bible's not consistent. You see, this is what Paul is explaining in Romans 4.25, and I want to take a little bit of a moment in this verse. 4.25 of Romans. I think it's 4.25, isn't it? Is it? Uh, do I have that right? Something shot across my mind that wasn't right. Okay. 4.25, the first part of it, Paul says this, Christ was delivered up for our trespasses. That's the first part of the verse. Now listen carefully. Because I think here is the meat of the matter as far as the way we trust and relate to God and why we can do so. Christ was delivered up for our trespasses, or our sins. Number one, I have three things to say about that. Because of Jesus' death and burial, because, is this in your notes? Thank you, Ev. Because of Jesus' death and burial, God the Father has forgiven us our sin. How much? It is taught in some places that only original sin was forgiven and that the rest of the sinful activity has to be worked off through series of penance 
and, and uh, uh, services and rituals and so on. Now, if that's the case, then the sin yet hasn't been paid for. But what does 1 John 1, 7 say? The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. What is Colossians 2, 13? Having forgiven. What tense is that? Past tense. Having forgiven us all trespasses. How many? If all, John, have been forgiven, if the blood of Jesus cleanses us, John, from all sin, how much more do you have to be worried about to work off for penance? How many? I can't hear you. Nothing. There's no such thing as penance and working off the guilt of sin for a believer in Jesus Christ. So, many have been raised in that. I understand that. And it, it fights against your understanding of the Word. And what happens is when something happens to you, some difficulty, some problem, you immediately, I don't have this because I wasn't raised in that system. I was raised in a system where we weren't taught anything. Thank God, thank God, I wasn't taught anything until I was born again, and then I could start learning everything for the first time. But here we have a system which the blackboard, I was a school teacher, is filled with all this writing, and so the teacher has to spend half the time erasing and try, put, saying some things, and as you know, when you erase a blackboard, those of you who are real old remember that, right, Brian? And so when you erase the writing underneath, Still, it can be what? Seen, remember? Until we wash it down. You remember that? And they look back, hey, I can still, that's just. And so something happens. And the little thought comes in. Just a little thought. What do I need to do to get back in God's graces? What have I done wrong before God that this is happening? Does it sneak in on you? Tomorrow I have a big meeting. I'm going to see the boss. I hope he gives me the raise. So, Michael, you're going to see Frank and you hope he gives you the raise. Forget it. But let's just say, he's not here today, so I can say that. Look. And you hope he's going to give you a raise. So tonight, what you're going to do, you're going to pray more and you're going to read your Bible more. We laugh, but what? It's the old system. There's no such way, no such thing. You either are a child of God, fully accepted, forever and forgiven, or you're not. Now, there is a place for obedience and so on, but that's not where it is. Secondly, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, that means where Satan rules, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. We're not only forgiven, but we now are transferred into the kingdom of God, the death, the burial. God has broken the control of sin over us, Sin no longer has dominion over us in Romans 6, 14. I remember years ago when I, and I still struggle with issues. And I was never taught as a believer that when I'm tempted to sin, 
I don't have to obey it. I used to go, oh God, please help me, please deliver me. I don't want to. <sighs> on all that. Stop going to God and asking him for something that Christ has already fulfilled fully. Joey, either you are a son or are not a son. Well, what happens when I'm tempted? At the cross, the power, the authority of sin and Satan is irrevocably and forever broken over us. Did we not hear it in Genesis 3.15? He will what? Crush the head of the serpent. Now, either he did or he did not. Which one are you going to stand on? He did or did not. Which one are we going to stand on? So that means this, that when I am tempted, for whatever reason, someone said something to me and I'm angry. I got left. It doesn't matter the reason, especially husbands and wives. It does not matter the reason. When I am tempted, my response always and only needs to be no. I will not sin. Amen? Amen. The reason many are still sinning regularly and not experiencing victory in this is not God's fault. It's your fault. Take up the truth and use it against Satan. And what is the truth? I'm a child of God. I've been delivered and now I have the authority in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to withstand the enemy and all of his temptations forever and to say no, because one no empowered by the Spirit, by a child of God in the victory of Christ at the cross, blows Satan back against the wall. So the next time you say you sin, you did it because you wanted to. Oh, I, don't, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I really did. Yes, you did. No, 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 no. You really did. No, I didn't. I didn't really. I really didn't want to. Yes, you did. You see, if we fall for that lie, we will always fall. We sin. I'm not talking about something that happens and you're not even aware of it. I'm talking about purposeful known sin. You sin because you want to sin more than you don't want to sin, don't you see? I hope some of this liberate, I hope this liberates some of you. <clears throat> Where am I in my notes? Oh. 20, now look at 425. The second part of the verse. Oh, did I wake her up? <laughs> Look at the second part of it. Christ was raised for our justification. He was delivered over for our trespasses, for our justification he was raised. God raised Jesus from the dead in order to justify his people. What does that mean, justify? Now get this down. Get it down and get it straight. And don't let the enemy kick you around any longer. Get it down and get it straight. Do not let the enemy kick you anymore. Romans 5.1, Paul says this to the church. Having forgiven 
us. Sorry. Help me, Evan, what is Romans 5, 1 now? Once I started wrong, having been justified by faith, having been justified. What tense is that, Sam? Having been, what? Past tense, right? It's past tense. What does that mean? It's a done deal. It's a finished thing. Jesus said at the cross, John 19, 30, it is over. It's completed. I've paid it all. Nothing more remains. Anybody who tries to pay anything or do anything to accomplish something that I have already accomplished is dishonoring God. Having been justified by faith, we have, when? What is have? Present. Peace with God now. So either you have been justified or you have not. There is no such thing in the Bible as gradual justification. Look at the verse and look at the tenses of the verbs. You remember those tenses when the English teacher taught and you were snoring. You see, I told you to stay awake in class. Now, that's fine, but what does justification mean? It is a legal term which means that God, and only God can do this, because that Jesus paid the price on our behalf and for us as a man. He paid the price of our sin, what, on our behalf and for us as a man. Because he did that, therefore, we were in Christ. Remember Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. In the cross, God placed our uh, spiritually, you know, the, the old nature or whatever, and the sin in Christ. So when Jesus died, that old Adamic sinful stuff died with him as to forgiveness, as to its penalty. Jesus paid it all. Therefore, because of that, because of the cross, God can now justly, rightly, declare us who were in Christ when he died as those who were no longer guilty of any sin whatsoever and forever. Amen. But what about if I sin tomorrow? Are you justified tomorrow if you're justified today? Yeah. I can't hear you. Yeah. yeah. Are we justified next week if we're justified today? And as long as we are justified, we are declared as not guilty of sin. No more payment. And how long are we going to be justified? As long as the Son of Man sits at the right hand of God the Father and Jesus Christ is not going anywhere. Therefore, in Christ, because of who he is and what he's done, and now that he sits at the right hand, right hand of the authority of God, we are forever justified. Why am I get animated about this? Because you see, the devil works us over in these issues. Christ has fulfilled all of the Mosaic law. All of it. All of it. And now in us, his great law lives in a way that God is now manifesting the goodness and the glory and the blessing of God's presence 
and his rule in us as we are manifesting it and experiencing it as we obey. You see, I no longer obey in order to get. I obey because I have been gotten. I don't repent in order to be forgiven because I am forgiven in Christ. Therefore, I have the freedom and the joy to repent. There's another thing God has done. Let me share it with you this way. Now, some of you were in beta the other. Any of you in beta the other night when I taught? Okay, please do not give away the answer on this. Well, I'm coming to get you, and you're a big target. <laughs> I'm not talking about you, Ray. <laughs> honestly, honestly, if I were to ask, all of us who can say with honesty, I am a righteous person. I am as righteous as Jesus Christ is. How many of you would stand? Oh, my word. What is he saying? Do you see the, the deception of the enemy? What does 2 Corinthians 5.21 say? That what God has done in laying the sin to Jesus that we should have been paid for, uh, uh, born. He who knew no sin. Why? In order that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Where? In Christ. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus rose from the dead, God declared us, remember, forgiven, cleansed, justified, and now clothes us with the very righteous clothing of Christ himself. Therefore, in God's sight, every person in here who is a believer God sees you and me with the very same righteousness that he sees his own son. Now, if that doesn't disturb you and blow you away, I don't know what will. That is a mind-boggling thought. But is it true? It's true because Jesus rose from the dead. He proved it. He's alive. He has sent the Holy Spirit. We are here today manifesting that. Now, do I always live righteously? That's a different story. But am I righteous in Christ? Does God now see me with the very same righteousness, clothed with the very same righteousness of his own son? Yes. Yes. So the next time something, you do this and that, please do not run yourself down. How many of you parents would want your child to run him? I'm no good, I'm just this and that. When he does something wrong, he spills something, he did whatever. How many of you parents would be pleased if your son, your daughter, your grandchild ran himself or herself down before you? I just can't, I'm no good. How many of you would want that? 
what would you say? Stop. Yes, you did wrong, but you're my child. Amen? amen. How many of you can say amen? You're my child. Yes. Children of God forever. Think about it. God sees us with the very same righteousness as his son. Well, what does this mean for us today? By the way, I don't have any idea how long I've gone. This thing isn't working, so I don't know where I am in the time. It's been on 50 for 25 minutes. Oh, I thought I didn't know. If I go over, I apologize to you. I'm, you know, if you need to go, you go, but let me finish. Thank you, Lord, for stopping the clock. Oh, no, we said it was God's time. Do you remember me saying that once or twice? So thems of you who have problems, you go see the Holy Spirit. Don't talk to me about it. <laughs> he froze the clock. Look, I just learned some terrible news this morning from Mac. Three policemen in, how many? Eight policemen? Eight policemen, four, whatever, in Baton Rouge. Four dead have been shot to death in Baton Rouge this morning. I don't know any details, and I don't know who does, but there's storms around us. It used to be every several months we'd hear something. Now it's literally almost every other day. Am I being overrealistic? France, Nice, Orlando, Dallas. It's rampant. Lawlessness is rampantly increasing. What's happening? John 16.33 is happening. In this world, you will have tribulation. And you see, what are we going to do about it? And you see, the tribulation out there strikes me in a particular way. But listen, what about the tribulation in my own soul and in your soul? What about that tribulation? What are you going to do about it? Well, what you're going to do about it is to remember the rest of the verse. Yes, Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Tribulation. And how many of us can say we have been experiencing some level, at least, of tribulation? Yes, all of us. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. No, it is, it is. No, no, it is. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Well, I have this terrible disease be of good cheer. I have overcome diseases. I have this terrible relational problem with my mother-in-law, with my brother, sister, wife, husband. Be of good cheer. I have overcome it. I had this financial stress in my life. Be of good cheer. I have overcome it. 
You see, I, I'm filled with fears because of where I live, and I'm afraid if I go outside, I'll be shot. Be a good cheer. I have overcome it. You see, there is a place where we must face the issues of this world within the perspective of heavenly reality. And if we forget that I have overcome it, we are going to be swallowed over by the things of this world. Remember Luke 8, 22. The disciples got in the boat, and Jesus says, we're going to the other side. This, all in Christ, we're in God's boat. We're in it. We're going to the other side. Jesus didn't say, man, I hope we get to the other side because, you know, this place is dangerous. We got all kind of storms. We will go to the other side. And in the midst of it, Jesus is sleeping, and whatever happens, a great storm comes up. You read this in Luke 8. And a great storm and winds and waves. Are we not seeing in our own lives and in the world great storms? Yes. Yes. What did the, what did the disciples do? We are to do what they did. They called out to Jesus, Master, carest thou not that we're perishing? Lord, I have problems. I have difficulties. I'm afraid. Help. And then when they did that, this great man stood up. He faced the fury of Satan and the storms, the winds and the waves and the lightning and whatever else was out there. And he said, peace, be muzzled or be still. Put a muzzle on it, Satan. And what? It ceased. You see, we're not talking about making my difficulties and issues go away or disappear. We're talking about being able to stand firm and victoriously and trustingly in the midst of or in the face of storms. Although sometimes and maybe even often the difficulties of the storms do abate immediately or gradually. What storm are you facing today? The way I want to conclude this, sorry, the way I feel the Holy Spirit wants to conclude this service is to do this. Jesus has completed it. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning, Genesis, and I'm the end in Revelation. I'm it. I'm everything. Look to me and be saved. If you have a need today that you want someone to be praying for, someone around you, not coming up here, I'm not going to lay hands on anybody. I like the idea of the body of Christ ministering to the members of Christ right where you're sitting. So you may have a need. I don't know what it is, and I really don't care as to categories. I care as to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, please help calm this storm. Deal with it. First, the storm of trust being attacked and fears and frustrations and angers and bitterness and whatever. And then the storm itself, perhaps, 
sickness, finances, relationships, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. If you have a storm and you're in the midst of it, stand this morning and those around you are going to pray for you. So anybody with a storm and you need someone to pray, stand, go ahead, it's okay. Everybody has them. Let's admit to it, thank you. Be standing, it's okay. And you want someone to be praying for you in the storm. Let's stand this morning. And those of you who have someone standing around you, let's go to that person around them and be praying for those people who are standing. Anyone else? You have no storms, no difficulties, no strife, no stress, no thing you're worried about, what's going to be happening here, there, and the other thing. Come on, we have storms. Let's admit we have storms. And the disciples, the reason they didn't go under the boat, of course, the boat wasn't going on there either, but because they weren't overcome by their emotions and fears is because they admitted it. We're in a storm. Help me. Is this one who started in Genesis who went to the cross, died, and was buried, and was raised again. Is he able to deal with our storms? Yeah. Begin to pray for one another. Yeah. Just listen to me, but begin to pray for one another. Is he able to handle and overcome the storms of life and deal with the issues in my soul that have to do with how I am relating to the storm? I'm afraid. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. This marriage will never work. This person will never come back. My relative will never be saved. My money doesn't go far enough. I, I don't know what the storm is. There's storms here. This is the house of refuge. This is the house of ministry and mercy where the presence of the Holy Spirit is here with us on Sunday morning as we gather in a very peculiar and specific and ministering way that he isn't with his people under other circumstances generally. This is a place of storm quelling. Let's be praying as Eric leads the music. Let's be praying. Don't stop praying. We can do both. We can sing and pray. For the rest of you who are not praying, let's stand together with us and let's rejoice in the Lord. As others are praying, we're not disturbing anybody. God is able to listen to all of it at the same time and do just fine. So don't worry about God. Keep praying. Keep praying. If there are other needs, you pray. Pray. My soul finds rest in God alone. My rock and my salvation. A fortress strong against my foes and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse and out lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness. I'll look to Him who hears 
words in Revelation 22 4 here's where it's at as they say and they we shall see his face go with God and see his face Amen. <laughs> 